Hi, this is Robert Fleming, one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. The other partner is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, and she and I are going to talk to you about elder law issues. Actually, Elizabeth, I want to talk about something that is not strictly an elder law issue. It comes up for a lot of our elderly clients, but it also comes up for a lot of our younger clients. And by the way, despite the name of our firm and uh, and the the niche we operate in, um, we uh, we actually do represent a lot of younger clients in their estate planning. Um, the issue is perhaps the most romantic thing we could talk out talk about. We should probably save this for our February fourteenth podcast, mm-hmm. uh, and that is prenuptial agreements. Elizabeth, you're one of those younger people. You are relatively recently married, says the guy who just passed his 50th anniversary. Um, Did you and Doug do a prenuptial agreement before you got married? Good question, Robert. Actually, we didn't. Doug and I both took an outstanding community property class taught by Jamie Ratner, who's a great professor at the U of A Law School. And the community property class was very, very interesting. It was a difficult class. It helped inform us a little bit about what community property means in a quasi-community property world. Arizona has interesting rules. By the time that we had decided to get married about seven years into our dating chapters, we really didn't have assets of any significance that were separate assets, and we don't have children. And so by the time we went ahead and got married, we talked a lot about it, but did not do a prenuptial agreement. We could always do a postnuptial agreement or a cohabitation agreement or whatever. So just because we didn't do one before we got married doesn't mean that we might not do one down the road. It might involve things like who empties the dishwasher, <laughs> who's in charge of cleaning up the yard, when Duncan the dog gets his walk. But, you know, it's a little soon. We've only been married six years. So I think, Robert, when I talk to people about prenuptial agreements, folks look at me like I'm the devil. And I'm just going to tell everybody who's listening today, they're not bad. Actually working through something like an agreement before you get married can be a wonderful experience if you have an open relationship with your then fiancé. It can help get issues on the table that you both may have concerns or reservations about talking about, whether you're talking about children, you're talking about separate assets or retirement accounts, you're talking about the anticipation of maybe inheriting from a parent. I find that couples who are brave enough to discuss some of these things before they get married in the climate that might have to do with an agreement, they often are much more comfortable just navigating the topics without shame without a whole lot of baggage. And so when I meet with people who may be considering getting married or have been in a long-term relationship and things come up around separate assets or joint assets, I oftentimes say it's completely worth having a consultation with an attorney about a prenuptial agreement. Robert, we don't draft many prenuptial agreements that are kind of one-off Um, as far as our practice. When we work on prenuptial agreements, that's usually within a broader scope of an estate planning or administration. But when we do that, we oftentimes work with colleagues who we love and respect in the community who are attorneys that may be representing the other spouse or spouse-to-be. And the conversations are collaborative. It's rarely ever contentious when we work through something like a prenuptial agreement. The things I think that are tender, Robert, are the kind of getting from square one to square two, which is 
just discussing whether to do one. You know, you've, you've hinted at uh, a, a checklist, I think, there, Elizabeth, for people who ought to be thinking about um, a prenuptial agreement, people who bring very different values and types of assets into a marriage. I think a lot of our clients have the misguided notion that if you live in a community property state like Arizona and you get married, suddenly all your property is community property. And no, that's not true. The property you bring into the marriage remains your separate property. But over time, if you want it to remain a separate property, it would be really helpful to have an agreement to, to, to articulate that. So that's one class of people who ought to be thinking about prenuptial agreements. Another class is people who have different children. Uh, we want to make sure that, uh, that any children we have after we get married are appropriately provided for and so we're going to we're going to deal with that in the agreement. Or we want to make sure that the children that we had before we got married, each of us, are appropriately dealt with. And uh, and so that's a good topic for a prenuptial agreement. And what about making sure that your spouse can stay in the house and if something happens house, to you? The house is so often a key element. So again and again, we've seen this case with older clients. One of them, they, maybe they both had lives and, and homes. One of them sold their house, maybe even put some of the proceeds into the other spouse's house. And now if they ever get divorced, it's going to be difficult to untangle how much they each own of the house. But more fundamentally, if one of them dies, is the other one going to be dispossessed immediately or soon? So that's a very common topic of pre- or post-nuptial agreements. And Robert... We talk to people about retirement and planning for retirement. When folks have established careers, some people may be sitting on on investment accounts like a 401k or an IRA that may have been growing over time, that may become somewhat significant as they start to think about sharing assets or what happens when they retire or die, who should be designated as a beneficiary. And then also at the same time, thinking about somebody who may not have a large 401k, but instead may have a really special pension and benefits through that pension that may or may not be able to be assigned to a surviving spouse. These are all important things to talk about. And I mentioned, Robert, the idea of collaboration and discussion among attorneys and and couples. It can really all be a positive experience for everybody. There are fantastic attorneys in our community who do a lot of mediation work. And oftentimes when I am looking to refer someone to an attorney to only work on a prenuptial agreement, I will often start with a referral to one or more of the mediators in our community just because those people are focused on collaboration. They're they're focused on um, solutions that bring mutual benefit. And, and I think that's what a well-drafted prenuptial or post-nuptial agreement is. So um, you revealed, I guess I'll reveal, Rhonda and I did not execute a prenuptial agreement back in 1973 when we married, although we had been dating also like you and Doug for about seven or eight years before that. But um, but we didn't have children yet and we didn't have assets and, and uh, we expected we were in it for the long haul and that everything would be community and probably pass to the other. That's not always the case for people. Uh, we could have done, a, as, as you suggest, six years into your marriage, you could now do a postnuptial agreement. We could do a postnuptial agreement 50 years into our marriage. Uh, why would we do that? Well, maybe one of us would suddenly require 
very substantial medical care, and that would be a way of separating our assets to uh, to try to assure that only the ill spouse's assets got used for, for care. That's a thorny, difficult topic because it would really require us ultimately to get divorced in order to really affect that plan, but it might be something that we wanted to talk to to a, a firm like ours about trying to plan for early in the disability period. I think, uh, Elizabeth, you've hinted at people, maybe both couple, both members of a couple coming and talking to a lawyer about whether they ought to have a pre- or post-nuptial agreement. And, and that does give us a chance to make clear that one of the reasons we don't very often do pre- or post-nuptial agreements is because we tend to represent couples. And you can't represent a couple and prepare an agreement for that couple. Each of the partners really needs their own lawyer for the purposes of the agreement. And that means uh, an expensive proposition sometimes because you may be talking to somebody like us who talks to you about your estate plan and then each of you talking to a separate lawyer about the pre- or post-nuptial agreement. That means three lawyers are being paid. That's one of the reasons people don't very often actually execute agreements. I think it's an incredibly small price to pay if you really think about it. Once you consider the solutions it can provide down the road, particularly when there are things that might be otherwise um, operating in kind of a gray, ambiguous space as people age, and particularly in families that might be blended families with children from different relationships. So I, I really don't think prenuptial or postnuptial agreements are a bad thing. I try and rip off the Band-Aid when I talk to clients about them and, and try and dispel these, these myths and rumors that they can be really problematic or cause problems in a marriage. I, I don't think that's the case if both people are really ready to, to be objective and, and get advice. I think the other thing, Robert, for those people who are listening today it's important to remember if you create an agreement like this, you need to continue looking at that agreement over time because if your normal practices as far as paying for things in your household or how you're handling retirement account withdrawals or contributions, if that changes and you're operating in a fashion that might be outside of the agreement, it's important to acknowledge that and then if necessary to, to amend the agreement. I oftentimes will have people who are in that space, Robert, say, well, what's the point? Well, the point is, is you went through the trouble to put one in place and it should still be relevant to you as you move ahead, even if you've deviated from it a bit. Um, amendments are not that difficult to put together. Every once in a while, I will have people come in to see me who may have done an agreement early on in their relationship and decide that they want to bring their assets together and start to do joint planning. Those are people who Robert sometimes need to then get advice about whether or not the agreement should be terminated or should be revised in such a way that it doesn't prohibit the um, the idea of building more community property. So it's an interesting thing. People should think about it and uh, try and move away from all of the terrible movies and dramas around uh, prenuptial agreements. Well, happy um, happy happy marriage, folks. You should go ahead and, and get serious about getting married. And maybe we could talk to you about the estate tax implications and the capital gain increase. And there are good reasons to get your prenuptial agreement done and, uh, and go through those nuptials. How's that for romantic? <laughs> That's a good romantic note to, to leave on. I'm Robert Fleming. 
I've been talking with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We are two of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, and, uh, and we hope you'll join us again next week. Thanks. Bye.